Well, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in a few different places, but mainly in Acts chapter 17 and Matthew chapter 13 today as we get rolling uh, this, this afternoon, this morning, I guess. Um, been walking through some of the Old Testament prophets recently and in looking in God's word and kind of trying to figure out um, which, which way is up as I'm, I'm just journaling through what must have been going on in those times that some of the words had to be what they were. And I came across Haggai chapter one, verse nine. And, and Haggai is not a book uh, that we camp out in often. Um, but there was a word in there that when I started thinking about Acts 17 and I started looking at our lives really came into my heart, really kind of settled and camped there. And this is what verse nine says. You looked for much and it came to little. You looked for much and it came to little. And so as I'm reading that passage, a lot of things are going through my mind and going through um, just our, our lives. And, and really what jumped in my mind was when Christy and I bought our first house here in Houston. Um, just kind of a weird story. I don't recommend you following our, our purchase power, uh, you know, kind of plans at times. Um, but we were looking at a specific house that, that was close to the church. And um, when we went back home to East Texas, that house fell through. We couldn't move there. But the real estate agent said, there's another house that um, you guys, do you remember when it was rainy and we couldn't get into that house? We like jumped into that house for a minute, but I told you, you couldn't afford it. The price was out of what you were looking for. And we were like, sure, yes. He said, well, the builders wants to get done. He's, he's ready to knock it down to the price of the other house. Would you like it? I don't know. Do you remember what it looked like? I kind of remember what it looked like. You know, we just kind of confused and looked in. Long story short, we were in this home for about six and a half minutes on a rainy day, not looking at it. And we trusted our family to come in and tell us it was okay or not. So we buy this house, no joke. And it was, it was great. It was beyond what we, what we needed, that kind of thing. But one day we realized we, we missed a key fact. There was no grass in the backyard. It was new construction, and so it was just dirt. And so if you were to stand up in the second story of our house and look out, you saw a beautiful lawn, beautiful lawn, beautiful lawn, dirt. Have you ever been there? But like literally, not like there used to be grass here. No, no, it's just mud pit. So we realized that, that we'd made decisions like other people were. We had bought this house, but it was the most that we could buy. And when you can buy the most that you can buy, it's called house poor, amen? If you've been there... Right, And so we start looking at how much it costs to put sod in your backyard. Do you know five pallets of sod is like a trip to Disney World? Do y'all know this? Like we didn't have any money and all this stuff. We were like, oh my gosh. And whether it was, was $1,500 or $2,000 worth of sod or whatever it was going to be. And, and how do we lay it out? And we don't even have that much money. What are we going to do? I have a brilliant idea. I can borrow a tiller from the church and I will till up the mud and I will scatter seed. All oh, It's in the Bible, church. So it's got to work. So, so we do. We till up the mud just to break the ground loose from the dirt. 
And then we go, and I don't know which seed to buy. This is not, I'm not, this is not exaggerating. We just buy two bags hoping that one works better than the other. Like our goal was cover every base. So we scattered seed, no rhyme or reason, all over the backyard. And then we set sprinklers out and we watered. And then like the first week goes by, we may have had some rain or whatnot. And if you were to look for my second story over all the seed, you just saw dirt and mud. Two weeks in, mud and dirt. I'm thinking, Lord, I just wasted $16 you know, a bag or whatever for seed. I don't know what to do. We, we don't, we're not gonna do it. And, and one day, I think it was the third week or so, it'd been raining a lot and we we're depressed. And so I'm just looking out the back. I said, Christy, I think mold is now growing in our backyard. <laughs> like no joke. We just like this green hue in spots. And I'm like, do you think that's what grass looks like before it's grass? Like we're watching creation, you know? And, uh, and she's like, I don't know. It kind of just looks like mold. It's been raining. And so no kidding, over the next few days, this mold just keeps growing. And I said, I think it's grass. And, and, and about two months in, we, we start seeing evidence of life. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. There were days that we wanted to just throw it and die and just make like a grass walkway to the playground so at least our kids could be in the backyard. Two years later, between seed and sprigs, our whole backyard looked like our neighbor's yards, minus the mature trees. And I remember that journey we were on thinking, I wish we could just have their yard. Why can't we just afford sod? Why can't we just, why can't we just, why wouldn't they be good neighbors? If I could cut rectangles out of their yard and put it in mine, we'd thought of all kinds of ways like knock, I'll give you a pie if you'll give me a swatch of grass, whatever it took. Because the seeding thing really felt worthless. It really, in fact, if I'm being real honest with you church, I felt dumb that I even tried it because I, I don't know what I'm doing. We don't have any money and my kids just want to play on the playground without mud and dirt on their clothes walking out there. But what would have happened if we would have never taken the risk to scatter seed? What, what, what would have, and I wasn't thinking like, oh, this will be a good sermon one day. No, I just wanted grass. But what would have happened if I would have spent all my time just looking at where the grass was greener, being jealous of what I didn't have? What would it have, have kept us from experiencing? I mean, maybe eventually we would have literally started saving his account for grass, which sounds really crazy. But, but what would we have missed out on if we'd have just wanted what everybody else had instead of the mud pit that God had given us to sow? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 through 9 says this. You can write it down or you can follow along in your Bible if you want to turn there. This is what the Bible says. Paul's writing to the church. For you, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, uh, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos, right? You are not, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who planted and he who waters are one, 
and each will receive the wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. You see, I think there's a lot of times where this fear of perception keeps us from living a life of great harvesting. This, this fear of, of what would happen if I waste my chance. In the church, it was, it was like this. I'm not yielding a lot of fruit. My life isn't yielding a lot. And so I just wish my life was more like theirs. I mean, if you were to look at this, I mean, we, we're tempted in every way, shape, or form. In the church, it's just as difficult anywhere else. How many people can we baptize? Well, if the mom and dad are in the baptistry with them, do we count them too? Hey, I saw a guy walking around the church for exercise during, during worship. Can I count him too? Because I don't want it to look like we've lost people. I mean, have you felt this way in, in your world? Where you just feel like if I could throw a little seed where there's already grass, maybe it can look like God's using me too. Because when I, when I look at their family, when I look at their job, when I look at their work, when I look at their world, all of these things, I'm not seeing green grass. I'm seeing a mud pit. And I don't want to waste my seed. I don't want to waste what God has given me. I want to be a part of a fruitful plan. Church, whether it's parenting, whether it's work, whether it's your spiritual life, your walk with Christ. And all of these things, you and I have a choice to make. Do we follow the directions and the plans of God or do we simply stay still and stagnant and jealous for what we don't have? So we just lay claim to what someone else has done. This is something that jumped in to the church because there's an inability to find good soil See, the, the people here were just saying, well, I, I'm following Apollos because he's done a lot, or I, I'm following Paul because he's done a lot. But what, what Paul is saying is this. Are you willing to be obedient to God regardless of what someone else has done or is doing? Are you willing to be obedient to God without measuring your life against someone else's? I mean, our, our world is, is made to measure against what other people have given, whether it's a mud pit in your yard, whether it's the car you drive, whether it's the health that you have. And after enough defeats, after throwing enough seed in muddy pits and not seeing anything but fungus, there's a temptation to be jealous and to say, God, if you only would give me what you gave them, then I could experience life to the fullest. If, if you only allowed me to have those same income opportunities, if you only allowed me to have the same kids, if you only allowed me to have the right thing, there just seems like there's never a right time for me to live life to the fullest, which you've promised. Have you, have you ever been frozen by that? So, so in our family, we, very few of us are freezers right? If, if you run up against a, a wall and it doesn't move, you just keep running up against it. Eventually, it's going to get tired of you hitting it. That's, that's our strategy growing up. 
And so for us, this inability hasn't caused us to sow generously, but instead it's caused us to try to beat down what we want, hoping it will fold before we fold. But church, no matter how difficult the, ter- the, the terrain, no matter how impressive and empowered your life is, if you, instead of following God's plan and obedience, keep your eyes on what you want and what you don't have, then you will be frozen And you will not experience what Christ has called you to, has promised you to, which is life to the fullest. So so if you look today at the seed of your life and the kingdom and the gospel, and you think, God, this is so valuable, I want to sow it sparingly, then I want you to know that God's word tells you what you will reap will disappoint you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says it this way. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously reaps generously. You see, the result of valuing what God has given us so much that we don't obey him with it, but that we just guard it and protect it is a life that bears little fruit i mean it chew on this for just a minute if you think what you have is so valuable that it can't be taken away or that has to be guarded and protected then then you're going to make sure nothing gets close to it if if you see it as yours and not an obedience then you're going to say with the voice of evangelism i always need to save it for the right time have you ever had that thought like i really want my husband to hear the truth of the gospel i'm just waiting for the right time and uh, this family gathering I, i really want i really want my relative to know the grace of god in their life but god you just never seem to open the door when you open the door let me in god i i really i just had opportunity i really wish i had opportunity to to invest the love and the life and the fruit of your word into other people around us. But it just seems like you never bring someone in my circle. You see, if you and I look at what we have as so, so valuable as defining ourselves, then what we find out is at the end of the day, we are stingy because we're focused on investment potential instead of obedience. Have you ever thought about that? That that the stewardship of God's word, of God's hand, is not about stewarding a a finute amount of of stuff? Have you realized that stewarding for the kingdom is about its utter abandonment and obedience to Jesus Christ? In Acts chapter 17, we get a picture of that through Paul. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 17 in light of Matthew 13. All right, so Matthew chapter 13, verse 9. If if you haven't, if you can't turn here, you'll find it very familiar. It's a parable that Jesus shares. In this parable, Jesus tells us something amazing. And here's what I want you to do. Don't get creative. I just want you to read the Bible for dummies with me. Are y'all with me today? You don't need to think deeply because Jesus makes it very clear and I don't want you to miss what's obvious. 
It says, the same day Jesus went out of of the house and sat by the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood at the beach, and he told them many things in parables, and this is what he said. He said, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds that fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced a grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. See, Jesus tells us this parable. We, we don't have to look deep. The sower is scattering seed. It, now, now don't, don't think, well, I wonder what he thought when the seed fell on the rocky soil. I, I wonder if he was disappointed when some seed fell uh, on the thorny soil and it was choked. I wonder, it's a parable. The, the sower isn't real. You with me? Like it's, a, it's a parable to make a point. And the point is this, that God in his word sows the word, sows the gospel, sows Christ, sows life everywhere. If you and I were judging God based on his, his spending strategies with the gospel, you might say, oh man, you know how much seed you wasted? You know how much seed you, you threw away that, that wore you out? If God is not worried about what the world thinks of him when seed falls on rocky or thorny or, or dry soil, what do you think that means for us? You see, we can spend our life looking for much, looking finding the right place to really do great things for God. We can, we can spend our life being very particular, very peculiar, very intentional about, you know what, God, this is how you've made me. I took that, that profile the other day, and so you can use me here. And when I find that great spot, it's gonna be like an oasis in the desert, God. Have you, ever, have you ever made deals with God like that? Like, God, I just want you to tell me exactly what you want me to do. Like, Lord, if you would just audibly come down and say, at two o'clock, I want you to be at school delivering chocolates to the administrative staff, and and there, I'm going to open up the heavens. Or, Or on this day, in this moment, talk to your husband or your children. Church, here's what the promise is when you and I aren't abundantly generous with the gospel. You will look for much your whole life and you will find little. And you'll know it's possible to to have much or to find much because you'll look at the lives of certain people around you and their yards will look so green with the fruit and the abundance of the Spirit. You will will give yourself excuses and reasons why the gardens of their spiritual life are growing there, why why the joy of Christ can bloom in their life in the darkest times. You will give yourself an out onto if they just had your story, they wouldn't be so happy. Or if you had their story, you wouldn't be how you were. You, You would looking for much 
and you would find little in your life. And what would happen is God's word will prove itself true. If you sow God's word into your life sparingly, Sunday's the only time you open your Bible. You will reap sparingly. If you sow obedience to God in your marriage relationship sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow Christ into your children sparingly, you will reap sparingly. You will look for much and you will find little and it's not a secret. Church, it's a promise. But the other side of that promise is he or she who sows generously you reap generously. You want your children to look like Jesus Christ? What do you do? See, I told you, this is a shallow sermon. You pour Jesus on them all the time. Church, if you're, if you're afraid that making your child come to church with you is gonna push them away from Jesus Christ, what do you think the odds are if you never speak to them about Christ, which one has a better opportunity for producing fruit? If, if you think praying over your, your unbelieving spouse is, is too much, that you don't want him or her to see you, what do you think the result will be if they never see you pray over them and you value Christ the most? Are you following me? This, this is the easiest sermon It's the promise of the Lord. Do you want to see abundant fruit grow in your life at work? Are you sowing obedience to God generously in every thought, action, word, or deed? Do you want to see spiritual fruit, a harvest, a full life, grow in your family, grow in your block? Do you wanna see your, your neighborhood come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If you never talk about Jesus Christ to your neighbors, it's not gonna happen. The opportunity's never gonna be there. Church, we have the most incredible thing. We have a God who doesn't want us to stay wanting and wondering when. We have a God who doesn't want us to be jealous in the most Christian way of what God is giving to others and not to us. Church, God has not called you or I to be soil scientists. You know what a soil scientist does? He or she goes around testing the soil to make sure the best use of that soil happens and the bad soil gets unused. Listen, if that's how you've been living your life, put your tools down. Because the gospel and the power of God is this unending supply of availability, of abundance. And so Jesus says so generously, now Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, verse one through 21, we see Paul on his missionary journey. 
And in Acts 17, verse 1 through 21, we see Paul, Silas, and their, their friends. They're carrying the gospel out. Now, here's what I want you to I want you to find this with me. It says, now, verse 1, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was the custom, and on three Sabbath, day, Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And he explained and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men off of the rabble, they formed a mob in the city, and uproar attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And when the people of the city and the authorities, they were disturbed, they heard these things, they'd taken money as security from Jason and the rest, and they let them go. You see, Thessalonica was hard soil. And this is the soil along the side of the road. Paul went and he reasoned for three weeks and the produce was scarce at best, almost non-existent. In fact, the uprising against him was way more difficult than what he scattered because it didn't only cost Paul something, but here's Jason who all he did was house Paul and support him. Paul, sowing the gospel on hard soil, caused hardship because the gospel wrecks the things of the world. It turns it upside down. So as Paul has to leave town, what does he do? He goes to Berea. Now, now y'all listen to Berea. We'll look in verse 10. In verse 10, the Bible says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue. And now these Jews, they were more noble. Now, I, I want you to catch this because I think it's important. The word noble really means open-minded. Isn't it funny? Today, we use the word open-minded as in don't listen about Christianity. Think about everything else. But, but noble-minded was you were open to search for the truth regardless of how it challenged where you stood. So these people are more noble-minded. And, and check this out. They received, excuse me, they were noble-minded than, the, than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining scriptures daily to see if the things were true. And many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek uh, women of high standing as well. But the Jews from Thessalonica, they learned Paul, the word of God was proclaimed by Paul. And so they came there too, agitating, stirring up crowds. And the brothers sent Paul off on his way by sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving command for Silas and Timothy to come, as soon as possible, they departed. Now, now do you see the contrast? The Bereans... Paul's speaking the truth. And you know what? They're so open-minded, they're willing to look and see if it's true or not. Isn't that, wouldn't you love to do a Bible study in, in Berea? Like, people sign up and they come. They bring their Bibles. 
They're, they're not just hanging on your word because you're a great teacher, but they're, they actually care if what you say is true or not. They, they, they actually want to be a part of this. They don't just meet on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's like Tuesday breakfast, right? I mean, this is fertile soil. Paul can see the produce coming. But he doesn't stay and he goes to Athens. Now listen to Athens. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, the spirit provoked within him and provoked is, is probably not strong enough, highly, highly agitated. The spirit provoked within him. He saw the city was full of idols and he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some of them Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him to the Areopagus saying, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our years and we wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time doing nothing except telling and hearing something new. You see, the, the people of Athens loved the big picture. They loved the accumulation of information. I, I want to know about every possible option out there. And so I, you're, you're just babbling right now, but what you're teaching is very different because the Stoics, you see, they believed that, that when you die, you're dead. Like, you just go black. The, 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 there's nothing, there's no white light, there's no eternity, so just live your best life now and live it up, whatever that looks like for you. The, the, the Epicureans were different. They felt like your body and your soul were completely different, and the goal was to get rid of the body so that you could live this good life in spirit one day, just completely separate. And the gospel of Jesus Christ wrecks both of those things. To the Stoic, it says, no, there is life eternal, and what you're talking about is ridiculous. To the Epicurean, it says, no, 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 there's a physical resurrection and a real place in heaven for all eternity. And so they're looking at him and saying, man, what is this babbler talking about? We'll give you a minute because we want to understand what you're saying, basically so we know how to stand up against it later on. We're not going to shoo you away. We just want to know how to shut you down. Isn't it amazing sometimes that we love to sit around and talk about things that are endlessly unimportant, but make them feel important? See, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. Hard soil, good soil, thorny soil, or rocky soil. What would have happened if Paul, after this run, this stretch of journeying, said, I just want to go back to Berea and stay there. I just want to go back and just put as much seed in this city as possible. The reality is, he would have probably felt good about himself. He had probably seen some amazing patches of grass for the gospel grown up. But he would have deprived the kingdom of obedience to God that would change the world using the gospel of Christ. Because Paul was willing to sow in Thessalonica 
because Paul was willing to sow in Athens, because Paul was willing to be obedient to Christ where Christ called him, the world was changed. Church, this morning, my question is this. What is more important, obedience or perception? What have you been guarding in your life? Because perception lets us look and think that we don't need to waste what we have because we only have so many chips in our pocket. Perception says, I need to manage what people see. Because I, if I'm going to be used for, by Jesus Christ, I have to be the mom or dad who always has it all together. I have, I have to be the, the, the boss or the employee that always has it right. But church, what if you own the fact that your job and my job is not to be soil scientists who are just looking for the perfect ground to glorify God? What if instead you and I took a moment and opportunity and said, God, instead of looking for much and gaining little, I'm gonna look for nothing and just follow hard after you. See, what would it look like if there was nothing deeper in the parable of the sower? What would it look like if we just looked at the life of Paul and said, God, you changed the world through this man who could have stopped a hundred times over? but he wasn't willing to look for much and come to you empty-handed. It's not about bravery. It's not about looking for just the right time. See, God's in control of that part of it. And so what Christ is calling you to do is just throw his seed abundantly wherever you can. And maybe in this room, the place you need to start dumping seed is in your own home, in your own life. See, because there's something that's powerful in this. The people who have sown generously are reaping generously. You know what that makes them do? So generously. I've been amazed by the stock market through the years, right? I put $100 in here or there when I'm younger. Like, man, isn't it amazing how all the people who have a lot of money are able to put a lot more money in and make a whole lot more money? Like, they figured out something the person who invests generously in a broken, fallen world have the opportunity to make generously. If a broken financial system can give a cheap Im imitation of the promise of God, church, what would happen if you and I were seriously sold out about this thing? Believing that if we will be obedient to Christ and sow the gospel, no matter how hard the soil, no matter how good the soil, that we will look for him and find much instead of looking around and just wishing we had.
this morning, God has brought you here for a purpose. I don't need you to look deep today. He brought you here so the seed of the gospel could be scattered on you. You're watching for that reason. The question is, what fruit will it produce? What feet will it encourage? This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know you can sow generously all you want, but it's not the seed of the gospel, so you're going to look for much and gain little. So let it start here. Right here, right now, will you allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear fruit in your life, to believe he is able, to surrender your plan? and to own him as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, your word is good. I know as believers, it's easy to look out the window of our second story life. It can seem like we've been given mud. Lord, and everybody else is given grassy fields. Father God, I pray right now that we repent of that view. Lord, let us not be infatuated with the soil, but let us delight in obedience, God. Let us trust you generously. So Father God, if where you place us is in a small group, let us sow generously. If you place us in a home with another, let us sow generously. Lord, if you've put us in work around people, let us sow generously in line at a grocery store or watching our kids at the park. Father, let us never miss a moment for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.